hail Kyle Trask. All hail Kyle Trask. He is our savior and the redeemer of all the Buccaneers fandom. Welcome to the Kyle Trask podcast. Oh, oh wait. Sorry. Sorry, wrong podcast. Wrong day. That was yesterday. Today, today is the Movies on the Brain podcast. My good friend and co-host. You know, right before this, we officially started. We talked. We were talking football for a while, and immediately, right before we started this, you said, "Let's do the thing we came here to do: talk about movies." And then you slide in Sanchez right at the beginning of the show. Like I, I feel I'm hoodwinked. I'm bamboozled. I'm disgruntled. I'm all those things. I'm also Chad Metz since I have to do a proper introduction. Um, but yeah, I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate it. You keep sliding the Sanchez in. I don't appreciate it. I didn't even slide Sanchez in. I slid in uh, our new second coming. I'm so used to Sanchez. I forgot we moved on to Jeff Driscoll or with Kyle Trask, the other Florida one. I don't. I can't keep up with him. You know, mediocre Florida quarterback that you know got beat by LSU. I can't keep up with him. Kyle Trask, the uh, the great uh, coming of the second coming of the Sanchez, who is the the blessing of the Sanchez. But anyway, Chad, let's talk about your favorite topic. Let's talk about how DC movies at the box office continue to have diminishing returns, regardless of how good or bad the product is. That is very much the case. Well, one, did you see the movie? I, I, have, I have seen Blue Beetle, yes. Okay, so I've seen it too. Um, so this, it, the movie's in the tough spot. It's, there's no other way around it. You know, everything else has come out for DC this year has underperformed. The Flash is probably one of the top five biggest bombs ever in history. Um, and so the growing the growing trend with DC films, especially with general audiences, is that, you know, they're not good. And so to go with that, we're in the middle of the strike. So nobody, the only person that could, singular, the only person that could promote um, Blue Beetle was the director. So, and I, I never thought about it before how much, uh, you know, going on the press tour and the circuit, all that, how that much that matters, but it does. Like, especially now with like social media and stuff, like, they're, when the stars are promoting the movies and they talk to the press, they can do these podcasts, these fun things. Like, I'm just throwing out like the hot wings thing. And it creates like these natural moments that go on to like propel. Uh, the the promotion of of movies and I don't know exactly how much that affects stuff, but when you have this movie which is being pegged as um, the first, there people are calling it the first Latino uh, superhero movie. I don't think that's accurate, so I'm not going to say that it is. But it's like one of the biggest wide releases of a Latino solo superhero movie, and the people can't talk about it. the cast can't talk about it, which we know leading up to it. They were very excited to be in this position to have this opportunity with this superhero. But now, because of the strike, they cannot go out and say that when it's officially time to say that. So that that doesn't help get the word of mouth out there. And I think see, having seen the movie, I think people would have liked the movie. I don't think it. I don't think it would have done like you know um, Captain Marvel numbers or anything. But it could have been and should have been. The best received and uh, considering what the Flash run is, most financially successful of the ones that have come out so far this year. But 
the pe- people in the general audience aren't going aren't, aren't seeing it aren't understanding that it's out and it's not just them that's hurt by it uh i just saw tweets today that the ninja turtles movie are, it, it could be uh the box office could be affected by like 15 percent because of the lack of promotion by the stars so those are i mean those are big numbers and it's it's affecting it's affecting the smaller lesser known or lesser publicized movies because ninja turtles while it is a known quantity, it wasn't as heavily promoted before the um, before the strike. So it's like those kind that like would benefit from like a big press tour to get the word of mouth out there, kind of. And I think Blue Beetle falls into that, but Blue Beetle has the the added burden of being a DC film and having that stink all on it, and being a lesser known character with no other known characters uh, in it to to maybe like help bolster it a little bit. So I think it'll be ultimately. I think it'll be a um, this. It'll be a disappointment with the financial run. But I hope all those things are factored in. But who knows? Because the people have to do the factoring in are the people that are responsible for the strike, which would be the studio. So uh, I think the movie is is probably going. I think the movie is better than what it's going to people are going to think when they see the number. And I hope that that's taken into consideration when it comes time. To bring that to make decisions on bringing that character back, I think he should come back. Well, I think that he should come back, and it was hilarious to me to to see Susan Sarandon in a in a comic book movie. That was just hilarious. Um, the Batman is a fascist line is still funny, regardless of regardless of where you put it. Jo- George Lopez is still awesome. Yeah, um, like it's a it's a fun movie. It's very similar to Bumblebee, um, very similar to Transformers: uh, Rise of the Beast. It's not a bad movie. It's just kind of tied to something that isn't really popular at the moment and doesn't have a favorability rating. Like the lack of promotion hurts. The lack of brand appeal hurts. Like the IMAX count hurts because it's splitting screens with Oppenheimer still. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot of things that go into why this this in. The, what drives me crazy about this narrative is this isn't like the Indiana Jones narrative where it's like, why were you spending $300 million on the Indiana Jones movie? Like, this was a budget of $120 million, which is kind of basic for superhero movies today. Like, it wasn't even past the 200 mark, which is kind of like general Marvel territory. So, like, you had a reasonable budget. You had, outside of Sarandon and Lopez, you had no big-name stars. Um, the effects were done well. They weren't crappy at all. The story was good. Um, it was just people didn't know it existed. Or if they knew that it existed, they, you know, chose not to show up this weekend. And then I think we also have to, at some point, talk about the summer the way that we talk about the winter. And what I mean by that is when we talk about wintertime releases, we talk about the fact that a third of the country is under snow. And the fact it could impact some people's decision to go out to the theater and see a movie. I think we also now need to take into account the heat, uh, the extreme heat that we are seeing across the country. Right. And there very much could be a situation now in summers where people just make the decision to stay home and not go out and do things. Because it's just, even if you're just walking from your, your parking garage, your garage to your car, you're sweating gallons of water, you know? Um, that may be a cost benefit analysis that some people aren't willing to make. Um, 
So, I mean, it, it's a variety of factors. I never really considered this the first gun movie because he, like, he didn't have a ton to do with it. No, Excuse no, I never, I never he, got he, people said that. Yeah, well, he said it. Um, the 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 director said it, and then Gunn seconded that it was the first gun approved DC movie. But it's simple enough to ignore, you know. I mean, for God's sakes, if Marvel can ignore the fact there's a giant celestial head sticking out of the Pacific, the Indian Ocean, like DC can certainly get around moving forward with this. So, like, it, it's not like they are in this very tight position. I mean, you're never seeing another, you're never seeing Rock's Black Adam again. You're never seeing Zachary Levi's Shazam again. You're never seeing this Blue Beetle again. You're never seeing Henry Cavill Superman or Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman or Ben Affleck's Batman. None of it is happening, no matter what kind of internet rumors or Twitter speculation you bring up. They're going to move on with their own deal. And that's that's fair enough. But here's hoping that by 2025 or 2026, you can do a decent brand re- rebuild around Superman and make it work. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, that that's my biggest thing for Superman is that I really do think the the effects like Blue Beetle seeing is the effects of people not trusting the brand and i i think it's good that if things work out the way they're supposed to dc shouldn't have a movie come out between now and legacy uh well no um aquaman 2 is slated but warners has their own decisions to make with that in regards to you know the financial aspects of it and it's not like they're the like they're not prone to cutting superhero movies for tax reasons. Yeah, I I was trying to say between the end of this year and Legacy, but I knew about Aquaman. I was trying to, I was going to get back to that, but I forget Joker 2 and I think Matt Reeves' The Batman come out before Legacy. I know Joker comes out next year, but Joker has proven to be its own thing so far. Uh, we'll see if that still maintains next year. Um, I have no doubt that it will. Uh, but I, which is still kind of wild to me that you know the brand is so tarnished, but Joker and the Batman have seemed to skip it to 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 be immune to it. Particularly Joker, I'm a little curious about the Batman because I mean it did well, and in no world did it not do well. Um, but I think that movie uh could could have made eight hundred. I, I've, but it, it made like seven fifty, seven seventy five, somewhere around there. So maybe that, maybe the brand dinged it a little bit. But Batman and Joker right now seem to be, you know, kind of bulletproof. But yeah, the Aquaman of it all. Like I think the even if I know the Joker comes out for sure before Legacy. If the Batman comes out, it either comes out in March or it comes out in October. Let's say it comes out in October after Legacy. The Joker coming out. That's fine because it's been it, it is completely his own thing and people seem to understand that. Uh, but the Aquaman of it all, that is that is the thing. If Blue Beetle is the last one in what we think of as a shared universe, whether it's in the DCEU or the new DCU that's coming, it's it doesn't matter if it's the only one between now and a legacy. Because that's essentially two years of nothing else in a shared universe. And then you can just go from there, and hopefully that that time in that time people forget, and you're able to do things that uh, kind of clean up the brand. Um, Legacy is going to have to do the heavy lifting, but you want to clean it up just enough 
so that people are open to seeing legacy and when they see it and if they like it they'll go back and can you can start rebuilding things but but aquaman to me has to come out this year if it's coming out in theaters so we can just just so we can get past it i mean it could make a billion i don't think it's going to make a billion dollars but if it made another billion dollars like the last one cool but the way everything has been going i don't see that in the cards i haven't heard real great things about the movie but kicking it you i want that movie to stay as far away from uh superman legacy as entirely possible so for me calendar year 2023 is the year we flush everything and we start anew going in 2025 we don't want to carry it over to 2024 we need they need the year and a half to rebuild their image however they're going to do it but aquaman 2 is a big a big question mark in that because that movie's not cheap bad girl what say whatever you will in the compared to the two it was cheap aquaman is not and they don't like to just shell things that are really, really expensive. I see the flash. So, uh, Joker, uh, Joker two, Folie de Four, or whatever you pronounce it, is October of twenty, October four, twenty twenty four. Um, as of right now, Superman Legacy is scheduled for July eleven, twenty twenty five, and the Batman Part Two is scheduled for October of twenty five. So, yeah, I, I thought the Batman was so it, legacy. Yeah, so it's remember. it's just Joker between between Aquaman and uh, between Aquaman and uh, Legacy. If it's just Joker, I think it's fine. Joker's enough of whatever it is. Uh, why, as we say that, why is Joker two trending right now? Uh, let's see. Is it anything worthwhile? Probably not. Uh, yeah, no, nah, it's one of those ranking things. But uh, yeah, keep you want to. Keep the, you want to try to restart rebuilding your image next year, not immediately next year. Give it some time. I'd say give it to Comic Con and then start a rehabilitation image to to slowly get people to like at least look at your stuff come twenty twenty five. Yeah, and or you can do another fandom in the fall of twenty four and get everybody going. Um, something, something like that. But I yeah. think you got to wait till like, after it, the summer it, at least. Yeah. You have to put James Gunn in front of a microphone, microphone with footage, with stars, and just kind of get some goodwill built up. But I mean, you know, I I keep reading all week, all weekend. I've been reading nothing but people saying, you know, well, it's too bad Blue Beetle came out at the end of the superhero era, not in the beginning or in the middle. And I'm like, guys, you do realize they still make westerns, right? Like, we're still gonna get comic book movies. It's just we're not gonna have the end game experience for a while because you know that was just a unique time moment in place thing but not every comic book movie has to be you know in game i'm glad you said the thing about the westerns because it was a couple weeks ago it was uh i want to say it was mark guggenheim the producer of the the arrowverse and he was talking about it. he said he thinks comic book movies are gonna go the way of the westerns and as a person that in the last couple of years has just realized that i like westerns and I've I've watched a number of westerns in the last few years, and most of them made after 1990. I was like, wait, okay. I know people keep making that correlation, but then I looked it up, um, and just in like the last, I want to say three or four years, we're averaging like three westerns a year, three whole westerns a year. People think westerns are like you you get one western every like ten years. 
we in the last three years we were averaging three of them. We get like right now we we have the most expansive comic release schedule that we've had. We get like six or seven of them. But when things were going good, we only got like two or three of them. Marvel was only putting out two films a year up until twenty six. Uh, up until twenty sixteen, they were they were only putting out two movies a year. Yeah, and then you get the occasional DC or uh, Fox X Men or Sony Spider Man. So you were averaging about three a year, and I think we're gonna go. I think we're gonna go back to something like that. I think Marvel's going to scale back to. I don't think they'll go to two. They'll probably go to three. Three, uh, three movies a year. Yeah, trying to drag one out every quarter is difficult. Yeah, and I think DC will do probably two a year, and you have your odd one. So anywhere between three and five yeah. a year, down down from seven, eight. I mean, good lord, man! No way home in the middle of a pandemic, like gross billions of dollars. It's not like we're that far. It's not like we're that far removed from a super successful big smash marvel superhero movie it's just it wasn't hasn't been done the way that that it traditionally has been and to be honest there hasn't been an avengers movie like the closest thing we had was no way home and look at the numbers it did like i'm sorry you just can't expect people to turn out for you know a doctor strange movie with no iron man in it or no thor in it or like Thor, Love and Thunder had the Guardians in it, but they didn't even really promote the fact that the Guardians mm-hmm. were in it. So, I mean, like maybe the big thing is still crossover. It's just that we're not getting those crossover events yet. I think what people people keep looking at it, you know, from from uh, Infinity War on, and they're lumping all that together. But really, it was what you really should do is understand that 2018 and 2019 are outliers. 2018 and 2019, pretty much everything that came, especially everything Marvel Studios that came out, all made a billion dollars. Black Panther came out, Infinity War came out, Ant-Man didn't make a billion dollars, but uh, then Captain Marvel made a billion dollars, then you had Endgame make a billion dollars, and then Far From Home made a billion dollars. Like Those are all your ones, but if you take those out, the numbers look a lot like they look now. Guardians 3 did equivalent to what all the Guardians movies have done. Uh, Black Panther made 800 million. Doctor Strange made 900 million. Uh, we had one billion dollar movie in there, which is uh, the Spider Man movie. Um, Thor, even though people hated that, made plus 750 million. Ant Man was up. Ant Man underperformed, especially considering his budget. But the rest of them look like pre 2018. Probably a little bit better. Uh, but the other thing you factor in here is that we have we had the glut of TV shows. And I think it's fair to say the glut of TV shows. And I, I think I don't blame that all on Marvel. I blame that on Disney as a company doubling down on the streaming and saying, we're just going to flood you with content. And we have these big content meals with Marvel and Star Wars. We're just going to push everything out there. And I think that I think that has led to some of the disgruntled stuff because a lot of people don't love all the shows which you know that's whatever you feel about them i don't think any of them have been outright bad except for maybe secret invasion and i don't think it's outright bad but it was they flooded the market and it was too much marvel was putting out too much now they're just going to have to pare it back but for anybody saying that like because of because of that they are like failing doctor strange did 955 Mm. okay 
Doctor Strange did 955. Um, Thor Love and Thunder did 760. Okay. Uh, Guardians Volume 3 did 845. Um, and well, uh, Shang, uh, what would be your, your next one after Quantum Mania? Quantum Mania did 476. So the drop off from Thor, which was the Thor was July of last year, right? Yep. And so we're looking for, let's see. Okay. So it'll be uh, Wakanda Forever. So Wakanda Forever. 859 to uh 859 worldwide for Wakanda Forever to uh Quantumania which did 476. However, and let me point this out domestically, Ant-Man domestically Ant-Man in the Wasp Quantumania did 214 million. Do you want to take a guess at what the Ant-Man and the Wasp sequel did domestically? Oh, uh probably barely 200 Ant-Man and the Wasp made 216 domestic. There is a $2 million difference between the domestic haul for Ant-Man and the Wasp and the domestic total for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So so you go from 180 for the first Ant-Man domestically to 216 domestically and then 214 domestically. And remember, Quantumania was released in February, whereas Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp were both July releases. Mm-hmm. And Ant Man and the Wasp was coming on the heels of, of Infinity War. Infinity War, and so I mean, what that tells me is one: the budget for Ant Man was ludicrous considering the character. Because two, it seems to perform in the same in the same realm. Uh, I think worldwide, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp did better than Quantumania, but Ant Man and the Wasp did six twenty two, so about two hundred million more worldwide than uh than quantum mania did but remember once again uh july release versus february release july release versus february release coming off infinity war not coming off infinity war i it underperformed but it did within the slot of what an ant-man movie does and i think that's what I, that's something i think we're we're kind of seeing unless uh certain movies get a bump have gotten a bump like let's say an event we call it an avengers bump uh like it happens for iron man it definitely happened for Captain Marvel. Um, uh, it happened for uh, like Civil War. There's a, there is an Avengers bump, but most of these movies operate around the same the, around the same uh, box office every time. The Guardians, uh, they they pro- they progressed about the eight hundred million, but the first one was like seven something, so they go from like seven to to eight fifty. For perspective, Ant-Man, the first Guardians is 17th domestically. The second Guardians is 13th domestically. And the 14th is, and, and the third Guardians is 14th domestically. See? So you go from 333 to 390 to 389. There's literally, yeah, uh, 389 to 358, sorry. So you, you have Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 1, at 333 domestic. Guardians of, the Gaval- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at 389 domestic, and then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at 358 domestic. All in that same area. Like, they're all within, like, 60 million one way or the other. Oh, uh, so... Yeah, Love and... Th- and, for example, uh, Thor... Thor rag- uh, the first Thor movie was 181 domestic. The Dark World is 206 domestic. Ragnarok is 315 domestic. 
and Love and Thunder is 343 domestic. So for all the people shitting on Thor's solo adventures, his numbers go up each time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that that's that's with the bad word of mouth for Love and Thunder. Uh, I do think, you know, there is a thing about, you know, quality and word of mouth that will affect them up or down. But I don't think you get the big swing to like billion just off of that. I think something else happens. Some other phenomenon like Black Panther was a phenomenon. That's how I got to a billion. But now the franchise looks to uh yeah, so like so like, like in game yeah in in game and no way home are your top two movies and then Black Panther and it, like you said a cultural event Avengers Infinity War cultural event the first Avengers movie cultural event Age of Ultron sequel to a cultural event and then Wakanda Forever is this is number seven uh you know has Chadwick Boseman death and all of the things. And then eight, Captain Marvel, which came right before, like six weeks before Endgame, eight weeks before Endgame. And then Multiverse of Madness, which is your first movie of phase four yeah. and was coming so, off of and was coming off of No Way Home. So so all of that to say, it, I think the the talk of the demise of the MCU and comic book movies in general is uh, uh, very premature. I don't think I don't think they're going anywhere. I think. What so are- like so like my thing with that has been the Western. They're comparing it to the point in time if, where in the 1960s, when Quentin Tarantino was growing up, where John Wayne was all over the place and making movies every six months. It seemed like, and there were bunches and bunches of them. But you have to factor in at the time, and this is something that people don't really can't really wrap their heads around now. But there wasn't a lot of product coming out of Hollywood at the time, and. Theaters were not six screen multiplexes or 12 screen multiplexes. They were old school movie houses where the seats were on the floor and they had one to two. Uh, they were screening one to two movies across the entire day. That's why theater owners and exhibitors loved Ben-Hur. They loved the greatest story ever told. They loved three hour plus run times because it kept people there all day and gave them more time to, you know, buy snacks. And also, they didn't have to show the movie seven times in a day. They could show the movie, like, twice and make their money back. You know, make money for the day. So that was an entirely different situation. It's The comparison to me is, if you want to go down the more obscure route, is it's more like biblical epics. We don't get biblical epics the way that you got the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and these three-hour, big-budget, what would be today, big-budget, elaborate, Cecil B. DeMille type pieces. Um, you know, there's not a Bible cinematic universe coming anytime soon. Um, and so if you want to go with the more obscure, something that was really, really popular for a time and then completely died off, I'd say biblical epics. Westerns have stayed a cultural uh, genre for the last 40 years. It's just, again, you're talking about volume and they were being made at a higher rate before the before the auteur-driven uh, uh, change in the 1970s. I think that is a actually a great comparison. Uh, for just for the sense of people that are are saying that they're going to go away. I think yes, biblical epics is the one because yes, we don't get those. Uh, if we get something close to those, it is like once a decade. So I do think that is the the better comparison because westerns they had a slump, but they are still here. Uh, they are very much still here and still coming. I, I'm I'm almost positive 
we have a few westerns coming out this year. I would be shocked if we didn't. So, Chad, let's talk about some Batman news that popped up on Batman on film. Would you please like to talk people off the ledge? Because <laughs> I feel like Twitter, I feel like X is on the verge of, you know, stroking it. Okay, so uh, we'll just go first. Uh, a few years ago, I did, I wrote reviews for Batman on film. So I do know the editor a little bit. Uh, so I'm just putting it out there. But uh, the editor of Batman on film on his Twitter account. Uh, so if he knows things, he'll do stuff like that. He'll just put something up and not say anything about it. And all he did, and this is literally all he did, he posted a picture of John Krasinski. That is it. Um, from that, some sites that are driven by clicks decided to speculate um, on, I, I guess they decided to speculate. They they were saying that, you know, this is going to be the new Batman in um, the Batman Brave and the Bone movie. Um, Batman on film never said that. I don't know how they went straight to that. Uh, when I saw what he put up, uh, I saw what he put up, and then I saw another tweet from someone else, and I can't, what I tweeted was, so he's either like, so he's either the new Batman or he's going to be Two-Face or uh, Harvey Dent in Batman Part 2. And there's something that happened after that that made me say, oh, so he's probably going to be, oh, I know what it was. After he posted the picture, he just, he posted his countdown clock to the Batman Part 2. So just me, on my deductions, I'm like, oh, and because I know that he cares more about the Batman Part 2 then Batman Brave and the Bow. I'm like, oh, so he's probably being looked at for Harvey Dent. That's where I went. I didn't know the internet went ablaze with the whole Batman Brave and the Bow stuff and were saying that that's what was said. That is not what was said. It was literally just a picture. Yes, it's from a Batman fan film site. Um, and yes, he does get inside information every now and then. But he didn't say anything about that. He put it out. It is what it it is a teaser. So when it does come out, if it does come out, you know that he knows what he's talking about. But he never said it's the new Batman. They're I don't they're not even at the point where they would be casting a new Batman. And as someone pointed out, Krasinski would be 45 years old when Superman Legacy comes out. We don't even know when Batman Brave and the Bold is coming out, but he would be older than Affleck was when he was Batman. So I don't think. That's the way we're going. I do. If I had to guess, I'm thinking it's more aligned with being involved in Batman the, in the Batman Part Two. I just wish people would uh, use critical thinking skills and not try to just drive clicks with the first thing that they think of in their well, little heads. Well, based on the fact that you know Emily Blunt is not you know Sue Storm, um. Like we are moving past that stage of fan casting into actual casting for the Fantastic Four, so it is only natural that his, you know, his that that Krasinski, who uh, fans had been casting as Mister Fantastic for years, who did show up as a version of that in Doctor Strange, that you know, since that's not going to be a reality, now we'll just move to fan casting him in a in a DC project. That's just how that naturally goes. Yeah, well, I, I think it's going to be a bit more fan casting. I do think. If I mean, we know of... that Har Harvey Dent naturally fits the story that you're telling, not only in the joke, the uh, Batman part two, but also in the Penguin, um, because that is a HBO Max or a 
Max original that is still set to happen and is, I think, in the can, actually, at this point. No, um, no, no. Uh, they were filming, I, they were filming, but they stopped for the strikes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, they are, to me, like, Dent is a natural extension of where that story was going with the crime and the corruption and the, the Wayne family foundation and all the things that, that Reeves set up. Um, it felt much, Harvey Dent felt much more of an outgrowth of, of that than Joker did shoehorning joker in there um but you know it just it's the internet doing internet things and you know running a blaze it it happens it's ridiculous Um, this is this is your this is your reminder to do act due diligent academic sourcing research nine times out of ten a credible article will link back to the original source click on the original source and read the content the context of what is being said for yourself. Make your own decision about whether or not it was framed properly by the original by the person that was reporting it. Otherwise, you're just a sheep and you might as well be reading a Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, it's it amazes me how many people just I mean, I do it for some things, but I really try not to when I see a tweet uh with some uh sensational headline. I kind of I some I know the natural inclination is just to go with the headline. But for stuff like this, I promise, if you just click on the link and see where it came from, you can solve a lot of problems. Uh, yeah, it, it's that's my personal policy for anything that's trending on X. Um, if if it's refuse, trending on I X, you call it that. Yeah, if if it's trending on on the on the website, I for some reason I will go back and double check and make sure that see figure out why it's trending because you know that will give me an, a good idea of why this thing is being talked about so much yeah if you click on the article see where it came from if it's some if you don't recognize the person it came from look them up yeah um, know know your sources like it's right. it's one thing it's one thing if you know uh it's coming from like this is a, a non-movie example but if you're if you're following coaching searches in college football like you're not gonna just take guy on the message boards information on tiger droppings you're gonna Look for, you know, Pat Forty and you're gonna look for the Ross Dellingers and you're gonna look for the for the Pete Thamels and the people who have like legitimate credentials in this area as to what is going on with searches for different schools and different places. Same thing with movie news. If it's not coming from a reputable, you know, trusted source or trusted person, you know, I would I would do my due diligence. Yeah, and it does it doesn't take it doesn't take long. It really does. I mean, if if you're really that lazy and don't want to check check your sources, see who's retweeting it, see who's putting it out. If you you should have a list of people that when you see news from them, you feel good enough with what they've done in the past to trust what they'll do in the future. If they put it out, okay, so it might be something worth thinking about. If they don't, then it's probably bunk. That's kind of how this goes. Indeed. Um, so Chad. Which has a better shot at winning a Best Animated Feature Academy Award? Should we actually have Academy Awards this year? Is it A, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or B, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? I don't like that you pose this question to me. I really, really don't like it because I love both of those movies. I will first say, um, let's not count out Disney because they have Wish coming out. Wish And Elemental Head Legs. Elemental did have legs, so that'll be nominated. Uh, Wish will probably be nominated, and it has a a fresher kind of art style that 
it, you can tell the influence of the first Spider-Verse in, in which it's not as radical as uh, Spider-Verse Eternals, but you could tell that it was impacted by those. And with the name Disney, if it's kind of good, it could be one give one of them the run of their money. But uh, I it's probably going to be Spider Verse again, and I won't be mad at it. But if it's Ninja Turtles, I'd be ecstatic as well. I love both of them, but very different ways. But visually, they're both very appealing. The it's it's just very beautiful and detailed. Both of them. Um, and while you can tell Turtles was influenced by the first Spider-Verse, it is very different from that movie than what both of those movies as well. And the animation is just well put together. And like I love I love looking at both of them. Visually, I love looking at both of them. But I think it's going to go to Spider-Verse. Uh, I think Spider-Verse has a little bit better story. Um, it, it, it took long. I think it, they worked on this longer and it kind of shows but both of them are Oscar worthy. So, just to uh, just to uh, clarify for for everybody, um, Disney as uh, Disney as a team at Pixar. So you had let's see, Monsters Inc. got nominated the very first year of the award in two thousand two. You had two Disney nominees: Lilo and Stitch and Treasure Planet. Um, 2003, you had both Finding Nemo and Brother Bear as Disney movies. In 2004, you had Incredibles. Uh, 2005, you had uh, you did not have a Disney entry. Um, 2006, you had Cars. 2007, you had Ratatouille. 2008, you had Wally and Bolt, both Disney movies. 2009, you had Up. And the Princess and the Frog, 2010s you had, uh, and 2010 you had Toy Story three. In 2011 you did not have a Disney, um, a Disney entry. 2012 Brave and uh, Brave and Wrecked Ralph were both nominated. 2013 Frozen and uh, Frozen was the only uh, Disney entry. 2014 Big Hero six. Uh, was the Lone Disney entry and the winner. Inside Out uh, was the Lone Disney entry and the winner in 2015. Zootopia was the Lone... Um, Zootopia and Manoa, uh, Moana, were the uh, two Disney representatives with Zootopia winning. Coco in 2017 was the Lone winner, was the winner and the Lone Disney entrant. Uh, the Incredibles 2 was... N- was nominated this uh, Incredibles 2 and Ralph, Ralph Breaks the Internet were both nominated in the same year as Into the Spider-Verse. Toy Story 4 uh, was the lone nominee from Disney that year and the winner. Soul was the uh, Soul and Onward were both nominated in 2020. Encanto was the uh, Encanto and Raya and the Last Dragon were both nominated in 21. And of course, last year, Turning Red was nominated, but Pinocchio won. So there's, in the history of the award, going back, what, to 2001. So 22 ceremonies, they've given this thing out. Um, and all but two years, there was at least one Disney nominee. Yeah, so, I mean, I just think, I look at it anytime that there is a Disney release. Disney it's at least getting nominated. nominated. Right. It doesn't matter 
once you think about it, it's going to be dominated unless something drastic happens. Uh, so I imagine that uh, Elemental and Wish will be nominated uh, along with Ninja Turtles and uh, Spider-Man. But I do think, I think Spider-Man is going to take it. I think it's going to deserve it. I think it'll be an actual competition. Unlike, you know, Incredibles Incredibles 2 was actual competition for it the first time, and, and it kind of walked away in a sweep. So I, I could see the favor being there for a base, especially for the artistry and the vision that they displayed in Spider-Verse that, you know, is, is really groundbreaking and pushing the envelope. It is. And for the record, the... Uh, the award is not the award is given for the best animated film with a running time of more than 40 minutes, a significant number of major characters animated, and at least 75% of the pictures running time, including animation. Uh, that okay, that makes sense because I'm looking at this and I forgot uh Marcel, the show she was on, was nominated for it. And I saw that in the last month. And I'm like, wait, there are real people in there, but I think it's the Roger Rabbit here. thing. Yeah. That's the Robert Roger, the Roger Rabbit rule. Uh, I I can get that. I can get that. All right. Um. So Chad, what what are the prospects for our man Denzel as he blazes his way back with Mr. Farquaad into theaters uh, next weekend? What are what are your expectations for the third film in the Equalizer franchise? That is a good question. I don't know. Um. I don't know what the first two made. I, I've only seen the first one, and that happened in the last two weeks. Not last two weeks, the last two months. You mean um, you've missed out on the Black John Wick franchise? Um, I did. I, I did. I knew it happened, and then I just didn't watch it. I didn't really have an interest in it. And then I was like, what the hell? I'll do it. And I, and I, uh, I recorded them when they came on TV and sat on them for literal months and just finally got down to watching the first one. Um, I am... My biggest thing with the Equalizer films is that I'm amused that a show from the 80s that most people don't remember, that I do, has come back as not only an action franchise for Denzel Washington, who does not do sequels and has two and is now on three of these, but is also back as a television show on the original network that it aired on CBS uh, with a gender swap and racial swapped character in for the title character. I'm amused that the Equalizer is getting so much run and almost nobody talks about any of them. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is like, it is Black John Wick and Farquaad is one of the foremost action directors that we have. And so those are both really good things. Um, I, I just like the obscure TV uh, part of it is also interesting to me because that's how we get, you know, Mission Impossible. It's how we got, you know, uh, uh, man from man from Oracle. So, uh, man from Uncle. So, it'll be interesting. I just uh, just wanted to pull it up here. So, Equalizer made 192 million worldwide, um, 100 million domestic, and Equalizer Two made 190 million worldwide, 102 domestic. Uh, opening weekend domestically was 36 million in 2018 for the Equalizer 2 and 34 million for the original. So it generally opens somewhere around the mid 30s and generally finishes somewhere around 100 million domestic. That is not bad for that budget. So, uh, I mean, I would, the way the box office is going, I think it'll probably open a little bit lower than 
30, probably around 25, uh, somewhere around what uh, Blue Beetle looks to do right now. Um, and we'll see if it legs it out. Uh, I mean, I he basically does. He basically does this to finance his. Uh, was it George Mill? What's what's the name of the playwright that he's? Oh, uh, uh, August he's, Wilson. Yeah, he's just basically doing this to finance his August Wilson uh, films. So I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at him. I am surprised that he's doing a third one. Uh, like because, like I said, he doesn't. He hadn't done sequels before now. But, well, Farquaad, you know. Farquaad and him are buddies, and his that's why he got attached to that new Magnificent Seven remake they shot in Baker. That's right. Be- because because that was his boy. Um, but like he he adventured out of the the Equalizer territory for one film and it bombed. And so I think he's back to just okay, maybe I just need to stick to the action thing. It it's not bad. It's not bad. And these are the type type of movies that you know people can go see and um there it'll have a bigger audience than expendables four so right um so chad what are your thoughts on barbie heimer in its fifth week of existence being number two and number three on the domestic charts like this is so this is what um like organic word of mouth and and can do for a thing i think both movies were going to be a success but the fact that they they continue to dominate the box office together i think is a very unique thing because of people because of them being released on the same day and people making a thing out of it and people making a huge thing out of it and they're so different that it's it's kind of something for almost everyone and that's not something that the studio ever planned on it's, i mean they're rival studios they want to succeed despite the other one and for people to just come together and make them both succeed together, it shows that there is a power in uh, these kind of like grassroots things from social media. I don't think I don't know what I don't see another wave like this happening for uh, for a movie release in a while. But this is like lightning in a bottle. Uh, I have no doubt that Barbie would have been highly successful without the Barbenheimer. So I have no doubt. Oppenheimer would have been highly successful without the Barbie stuff. But for Barbie to reach, you know, the the billion that it has, it pr- it probably still would have. It would have taken longer. Like, because this thing got there like, like that. Uh, and Oppenheimer continues to break records for, like, you know, this serious rated R movie uh, that's a, disguised as some of Blockbuster. So it it's a testament to the people that came up with it and were able to you know, just by saying it, uh, create this this massive movement to see both of these movies. Uh, it's a win for the movie theaters, to, the movie theaters to get butts and seats and and lots of them, and they keep coming back for it. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's just good for movie fans because it's two good, very different movies that are succeeding, and you just and as a fan, all you can do is you hope the people in charge see this. And learn things that are going to give you more opportunity to see new and diverse things, along with the things that they want to put out. I very much look forward to the Stretch Armstrong, Battleship, and Magic Eight Ball movies that we're yeah, now doing. Yeah, uh, I, the... I said you hope they come yeah. up with the right things. Um, you know what my favorite part of this is? My favorite part of this is the fact that uh, a three-hour adult drama. With as Aaron was it Aaron Paul Jake Paul one of the one of the WWE Paul uh, 
Logan. Logan. Yeah. Logan is like, I walked out 20 minutes in. It's two, just people talking. It's like, well, yeah, bro, that's what a, a adult drama is. It's not a lot of big bang action action stuff. And even the big bang action action stuff is in the middle of the movie. It's like the halfway point. I heard Nolan break it down this morning or this afternoon. I heard Nolan break it down for the first time. And he was like, the way that I structured it is an origin story in the first hour. It's a heist movie in the second hour. And it's a courtroom procedural in the third hour. And like, I can totally see how that lines up. Um, Like that movie, as brilliant as it is, and as many themes as it's working with, and as great performances all around from main stars to supporting actors who don't even have a line, that movie has made $717 million worldwide. And I can guarantee you it didn't have a $300 million budget. The budget might have been over $100 million, but it was not a $300 million movie. And so for it to make, you know, what probably is going to end up around $750 million, the, you know, the equivalent of what a Thor movie does worldwide is very, very impressive and gives me hope for adult dramas moving forward and not just, you know, quirky A24 stuff, like actual serious adult dramas. Because, like, my concern is we got The Last Duel and no one went to see it. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you find the recipe to make these things relevant again? Um, I don't know, but, you know, Oppenheimer is a good start. It's, it's gotten people that probably wouldn't have seen it to go to the theater and see it. And so, if nothing else, that is good. Much as I don't like giving Christopher Nolan credit for anything. Now, now I just need the uh, the Truman movie with uh, Gary Oldman playing Truman and his old age makeup so he can win another Oscar. Uh, I, I, uh, I know that he I know that he's Truman. Uh, I still haven't seen it yet because, again, three hours. I got to really want to go to see the movie for three hours. I'll probably see it this weekend. Um, but I've seen it three times in full. OK, see, but, you know. You're a psycho, and everybody knows that. So who cares surprise if Brian has seen the three-hour-long movie three times? And Chad has not seen it yet. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I squeezed it in between uh, film footage screen, uh, study of Kyle Trask throws in the preseason games. Why are we here again? Why? <laughs> that one deep ball he threw in the first, the, the second I preseason said, nope, games. Nope, 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 nope. I don't know anything he did. Nothing. Not a thing. He's going to beat out Baker Mayfield. It's okay. He's going to make Baker can go do his insurance commercials now. Anyway, well, back to Oppenheimer. Well, I, I will give you one uh, trash thing. Um, he's from, he is from Manville, which is like 10 minutes away from where I stay right now. So there you go. I passed by which, the high school he went to. Uh, not all the time, but enough. Indeed. Uh, he, he hails from the state of Texas as a quarterback uh, recruited by Dan Mullen. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, couldn't beat our kid to be the starter, though. But whatever, he's in the NFL. whoop de do. Yes, yes, indeed. So Oppenheimer doing big numbers is, is I think, a good thing. And I hope that it bodes well, because I really don't think Napoleon's going to do great numbers. <laughs> Keep forgetting that's a thing. I haven't even watched the trailer for that. Yeah. Your Joker man with Ridley Scott in a three-hour-plus epic about a French dictator. Uh man, I don't know how many hard sales we got, but that seems like one of them. Indeed. Um, so I'll finish up the podcast on this. I saw The Last Voyage of the Dementor. I saw it by myself in a theater because there was no one else there because the movie made no money 
and no one saw it. And that is a grave disappointment because it is actually a quality movie and a quality adaptation of the source material. It's Dracula on a freaking boat, and they didn't even market it that way. But we really need to sit down and have a conversation with like about executives' decision-making when it comes to placement on calendars. Because putting a Disney putting a Haunted Mansion movie in July, I get because you're trying to like advance publicity for the ride and you have marketing tie-ins and all the things. I can, I can kind of understand that. A Dracula on a boat movie that is a straight-up adaptation of a portion of the book of Dracula? And you're going to put that movie with zero marketing in the dog days of August? How exactly is that supposed to go over well for you? Um, I think they're, I guess it's counter-programming. I guess. I don't know. It's the best I got for them. The, there was no marketing. You didn't know the movie existed. There was no TV advertisements. There were no radio advertisements. The, there were like one, There was like one trailer. Like, it, this movie was dumped as far as dumped could be. I mean, I knew it was coming out only because I watch wrestling and they seem to like showing that stupid ass commercial uh, doing raw. Well, because it's a universal film, so it ties into Comcast Universal, which is own which owns USA. That makes yeah. But um, great, good, really good movie. Uh, has some has some you know very uh, Master and Commander vibes to it. If you like horror movies and you like old warship movies this is gonna be right up your alley it's a very good adaptation of the source material and i really hope more people seek it out in and find it you know around spooky season because hopefully they'll put it on peacock at that point because lord knows no one found it before now yeah probably hopefully that all about do it for this week's episode of the movies on the brain podcast you can follow us on twitter i am at bcw tiger fan and I am anxiously not awaiting the end of this podcast where I'm going to be suckered with a Jeff or whatever his name is, football comment. But I'm Chad Metz, and I will be over here grinding my teeth as this happens. And our producer is at Grantel Fletcher, and we are at On The Brain Pod on Twitter uh, or X, whichever you prefer. Nice. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening. Oh, he did too.